0: Open your Bibles with me to an opening passage of Scripture. And while we will not take very long in this study, and it is definitely a very simple study, I just want us to rejoice in glory in the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and His death for us. Revelation chapter 5 describes several heavenly choirs bursting forth at the appearing of the resurrected Savior there, And if we were to believe what most believe, Jesus Christ should be singing to them instead, as Daniel was speaking. He should be singing that worthy are those that accepted him in order to keep his death from being entirely in vain. Because if they had not done something in their lives, and it depends on what denomination you're part of, whether that is some faith or public confession or baptism or sacraments, his death would have been in vain. Because they add to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to exalt the finished work and rejoice in the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet speaks this way about the greatness and glory of our God that we worship. Verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. When you're measuring things by a bucket, do you mop out the drops that are left in it? No, because they're inconsequential. When you're using a scale, do you wipe it off every time for dust? It is inconsequential. And so are the nations of the earth. The nations of the earth are as the drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the aisles, As a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. If you were to think of a sacrifice to be made to God to bring him into acceptance and pleasure of you, if you were to burn the forests of Lebanon as the fuel and all the beasts of the forests of Lebanon as the sacrifice, it is insufficient. The fire is not big enough. The sacrifice is not great enough. According to this text of verse 16 in Isaiah chapter 40, Lebanon throughout the pages of the Old Testament is described for its cedars and for its woods, and for the beasts that hid in those woods, but it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be sufficient for the Lord. In Romans chapter 11 that we looked at today, and we should turn to it again to remind ourselves of the place and preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ in that passage, we were taught that there are unconverted elect, which to us in this assembly take on this value, that even those that were enemies of the gospel, were redeemed and reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Jesus Christ's death was sufficient to overcome even the objects of that death being enemies of His precious gospel. We read in verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ was sufficient to even save those who by God's providence and for a very noble and for a purpose that we should be very thankful for, did not believe the gospel. When something is sufficient, it has enough quantity or extent or scope adequate to a certain design purpose or object. It's to furnish enough for the performance of a thing. It is to provide enough for the satisfaction of a person or a thing. And we believe that God was satisfied with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't add to that satisfaction. We cannot We don't put that satisfaction into force. The Lord Jesus Christ did it himself. Jesus is all sufficient as your Savior. You don't need prayers to Mary. You don't need the seven sacraments of the Church of Rome. You don't need Pope Francis, Benedict, or John Paul. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a soul winner. You don't need an evangelist. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave himself for us. And I want you to love Him and to delight in Him as we come to a supper and a table that are called the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table to remember His death until He comes for us. Eternal life is guaranteed not by anything you do or can do, but it is guaranteed by what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. There's only one man standing between you and eternity in the lake of fire. And you cannot assist them. There is only one man between you and the lake of fire. You belong in the lake of fire. You and I deserve to be cast in the lake of fire. When the books of our works are open in the great day of judgment, it will show us to be worthy of the lake of fire. There's one man standing between us and the lake of fire. And thankfully it is no preacher, no evangelist, no parent, no pope, no priest except the great high priest of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus of Nazareth, the perceived son of Joseph and the son of Mary, he is the son of God. It is not dependent on faith. We were taught that this day already from Romans chapter 11, which I just read. It is not dependent on truth. The Galatians had imbibed the error, the false doctrine, the heresy, Paul said, Who hath bewitched you? That's a bewitching of the Galatian churches, the churches of Galatia, in adding to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't doubt their eternal life. He just knew that they had imbibed a false doctrine and fallen from the proper understanding of grace. It's not dependent on works, because if it's of grace, then it can't be by works. Or as we read earlier today in Romans 11 and verse 6, then the definitions of grace and works no longer have any meaning because they are mutually exclusive of each other. My brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ is all sufficient because He finished the work of redemption. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, He cried from the cross before He gave up the ghost. It is finished! Amen. We believe Him. Amen. We believe Him. And the Apostle Paul believed him because Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Whoever the Lord Jesus Christ died for, he obtained eternal redemption for us, by himself when he once entered into the holy place of God in the heavenly places and presented his blood through the eternal spirit and God accepted it. And the Bible tells us that we are accepted in the beloved. It is not taught anywhere in the Bible that we have to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It is taught throughout the Bible that God has to accept us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says that in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, according to the good pleasure of His will, whereby He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And the Beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ, because God said of Him, This is My Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ shows itself by not being dependent on our faith, not dependent on our truth that we hold or our works, And it is finished. And it's because it is ascribed to one man in Romans chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter 5 very quickly with me. One man's obedience did it. I don't have time to preach the messages that have been preached and should be preached again from this wonderful passage of Scripture. But what is described in Romans 5 verses 6 through 21 is glorious indeed. Not that verses 1 through 5 are not, but they are of a different subject and content. In Romans chapter 5, look at just verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. The law of God was given on Mount Sinai 2,000 years after creation. Jesus Christ died two thousand years after the law was given, and we live two thousand years after Jesus Christ died. There was two thousand years of the patriarchal age of Adam to Moses. Then there was Moses to Christ, and there is Christ to us. The New Testament period, the Old Testament period, going backward to the patriarchal age. But from Adam to Moses, when there wasn't a law in the world, babies died. Verses 12 through 14 say, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. God told Adam, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He had a commandment and a condemnation attached to it of death. But there were many others born during that 2,000 year period of time that didn't have that. And that is preeminently infants. And they died. Death reigned from Adam to Moses during that 2,000 year period of time because one man had sinned and made us all sinners in the sight of God. This is God's choice to arrange it this way. It is the doctrine of representation, the doctrine of federal headship of our first father, Adam. And so when it says in Romans 5, 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. We were made sinners... By one man, Adam. If you never sinned, you would still go to hell because you're a sinner in the sight of God by Adam's sin. Right. This is the doctrine of representation, but look at the verse goes on to say, even so Romans five nineteen, I mean it says so, even so is in previous verses like verse eighteen. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. How sufficient is the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me put it to you this way. How certain is it to you that you're going to die? Is it sufficiently evident that you're going to die? You're going to die because of Adam. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned in Adam. Death comes by Adam. Well, you are convinced of that. You can see that there's sufficient evidence you're going to die by your relationship to Adam. That's why children die. That's why babies die. That's why unborn children die. Because they're connected to Adam. Don't tell me about the age of accountability. That's not found in the Bible. And if you think you believe in the age of accountability, then why do children under the age of accountability die? Because they're accountable. What are they accountable for? The sin of Adam. Adam. Even before they're born, they're held accountable for the sin of Adam. But I can tell you that if you're convinced that you're going to die, then you believe in the first Adam, and I can tell you that the second Adam is sufficient to save you. Amen. Because it says, So by the obedience of one shall men be made righteous. That as, so, English construction as. In the way described, defined, and evident by what is said here, it is just as true here by what is said. As Adam was a sin representative for us, so the Lord Jesus Christ is all-sufficient to be our Savior. He sits at the right hand of God right now. He is the beloved of the fathers. In Him all the preeminence should dwell. He's the head of this church. He's the cornerstone of this church. He's the bishop of this church. He's the great shepherd of our souls. He should get every bit of our attention and affection right now at this moment. If your mind is wandering about some of the foolish and wasteful vain things that you'll do this afternoon or evening, you're wrong. Give Him the glory that He deserves as being an all-sufficient Savior for us. It's one man's obedience that did it. Adam condemned us by his disobedience. Jesus saved us by His obedience. And while I love the rest of those verses in that passage, we must move on. Let's move on to Hebrews chapter 1 and the third verse. Hebrews chapter 1 and the third verse. Not only does Romans 5 say one man did it, Hebrews 1 says one man did it by himself. There was no one to help the Lord Jesus Christ. His apostles couldn't even stay awake and watch with him for an hour. And they ran away and hid from him because they were afraid in the hour of a little bit of trouble while he's the one that went to the cross for them. And He had told them in advance what was going to happen. But I read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says of Him, who being the brightness of His glory. That is, the Lord Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. Amen. And the express image of His person. You'll never see God. You're never going to see God. God is an invisible spirit, the Bible tells us. But you will see the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the express, that is the perfectly detailed representation of God, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That is an all-sufficient Savior. I want to remind you, and I've reminded you many times before, but these new versions of the Bible from the New American Standard of the NIV, they take out the two most important words in Hebrews 1:3, by himself. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down. Look at chapter 10 in this same epistle. If you want to see the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, which of the 66 books would you go to first? The book of Hebrews. What is the lesson of the book of Hebrews? The preeminence of Jesus Christ. In every way conceivable to the Holy Spirit and to the Apostle Paul who was one logical man. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. So it's repeated in various ways throughout this epistle. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. What else do you need for sufficiency? This man, one man, after he, no one else with him, but by himself, he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, and sat down. His work was finished. Let's live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's love Him. Let's remember His death till He comes. He's the Lord of glory. He's the King of kings. He's the Prince of the kings of this earth. He is the Word of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. But He gave His life for us, and it's all sufficient for our salvation. I read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. He is all sufficient. We don't need anyone else. The Catholics, the 1.1 billion who call themselves Christian Catholics in the world, pray to Mary to help them at the hour of their death. Mary needed help at the hour of her death, that the Lord is going to have mercy upon her. There's one mediator between God and men. She is not a mediatrix, as that church teaches. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor to go to God. Every child in here that fears God and believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can go straight into the Holy of Holies in heaven. You're far advanced beyond any high priest of the Old Testament, even Aaron. Aaron could only go into the Holy of Holies and that on earth, the decrepit thing that it was, once a year with the blood of animals. You can go into it right now. You can go into it a minute from now. You can go into it an hour from now. By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's all sufficient for us. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, our beloved brother Peter, he wasn't of a timid mind by the time you get to chapter 2 of Acts. He's not timid in Acts 3 and he's not timid in Acts 4. And when he's being questioned about the healing of the lame man, listen to what he had to say. Oh, listen to what Peter had to say. Verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you know, just a few days earlier, he had sat by a little fire, and little maiden had confronted him and said, You know one of him. You're one of his followers. You know Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied with curses and oaths that he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, when you get the Holy Spirit, like Joel asked for us to pray today, and when the Lord gives the Holy Spirit, you're afraid of no man when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And neither was Peter. Listen to him. Let's start again in verse 10. Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you all. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. No other name under heaven. What name do you want to give me? Joseph Smith? Do you want to be? Do you have to be baptized in an underground baptistry in a Mormon temple in order to save yourself and your relatives by baptism for the dead? Is it Joseph Smith? Is it Martin Luther? If you're a Lutheran, give me Christ. What is the name of us? We're Bible Christians. We're Baptist secondary. We believe in the doctrine of baptism, and we love John the Baptist in the Bible because Jesus said he was the greatest born of women. But we are Bible Christians. That means we follow Jesus Christ according to the Bible. And we follow the Bible because Jesus Christ has saved us. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't you like Peter now? Oh, he's not running and hiding from some little girl at a fire outside the high chief's palace. He's boldly declaring that they're guilty of crucifying the Lord of glory. There's no other name. If you were to have looked at Psalm 89 last night, Psalm 89 is a messianic psalm that describes God choosing one mighty out of the people to be the redeemer of the family of God. God chose the Lord Jesus Christ and God chose Him in strength. The government shall be upon His shoulder, Isaiah verses 9, 6, and 7 say. And He shall bear up the responsibility in the pillars of the house of David. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. So says Isaiah... In his prophecy. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 again. We can't get far from Hebrews. Because it's full of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It's my favorite book of the Bible. If you ever want to know. That doesn't mean anything to you. But it's my favorite. Because it lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ from cover to cover. Of that book. It's all about the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Look what it says about the elect. For by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Is that all sufficient? If you're perfect, what is insufficient? What's lacking? What's missing if you've been made perfect? For by one offering, it's not us offering ourselves to Jesus. It's Jesus offering himself to God for us. We were made perfect forever. Is that pretty good? Is that sufficient? He's a sufficient savior. He's an all-sufficient Savior. Look at chapter 9. By what means did He save us? Do we get to get involved? The Bible does believe in salvation by means. But the means is different than most theologians want to teach. Here are the means. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament. What's the other word in the Bible for testament? Testament. And what's the other word in our legal language for testament? Covenant. Remember Romans chapter 11? They want to stick that out there and make a covenant of national preeminence for the Jews. This is the covenant that God made with Israel. Zacharias knew about it. I read it to you from Luke chapter 1. Paul certainly knew about it. He's talking about it right here. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, there's the means of our salvation. Death the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first Testament. They, which are called those called are the ones from Romans chapter eight, that were predestinated might receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where a Testament is. This is when you have a will made up. There must also of necessity be the death of the testator for verse 17, a Testament or a will or a covenant, The last will and testament of John Doe, but this is the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. And so what is the sufficiency of getting us saved? The testator died. How could God die? He's immortal. He cannot die. He devised the Lord Jesus Christ who is God, made flesh to die for us and put into force a covenant. It is the last will and testament of God. What does it say? That every one of my elect whose names I inscribe in the book of life before the foundation of the world shall be infallibly redeemed to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. Foreknown, predestinated, called, justified, and glorified. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Thank you, Lord. Oh, I preached to you a few weeks ago from Daniel chapter 9, which said there were 70 weeks determined upon Israel and upon the people of Daniel. And three of those things were completely accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ by His death on the cross when He ended sin, brought in reconciliation, and brought in everlasting righteousness. And we saw that it was completed within that 490-year time period that was given to Daniel in about 456 B.C., which meant it was fulfilled in the final 70th week in 30 A.D. When the Lord Jesus Christ took a cup up and said, this covenant is the New Testament in my blood. In the midst of the week, the midst of the 70th week, the Lord Jesus Christ was cut off. And put that everlasting covenant into force by his shed blood. Thank you, blessed God and Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of life is called the book of life of the Lamb slain. So, the life that all those in the book get is because the Lamb was slain for them. That's why it's called that. He's all sufficient to get eternal life for everyone written in the book of life. As a boy growing up, I used to sing a song. There's a new name written down in glory. But there's no new names written down in glory because every name in the book of life was written there before the foundation of the world. We have two witnesses, Revelation 13.8 and Revelation 17.8. And in complete agreement with that, we know that we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world And we know that God's purpose and grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. All of it fits together. He promised eternal life before the world began. Who did He promise eternal life to? He promised eternal life to those sheep that the Father had given to the Son to redeem. And so we have an all-sufficient Savior. Oh, since you're in the book of Hebrews, let's look over at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Oh, you want to hear another word like Sufficient. Does the word uttermost mean anything to you? Amen. Is Jesus Christ able to save to the uttermost? That's the farthest point. That's the highest value. That's the deepest depth. The uttermost. It's a superlative. You can't violate it. You can't stop it. Praise his glorious name. Amen. Look at Hebrews 7 25. Wherefore? Because he has a priesthood that continues forever. Verse 24. Because he's so different from the priests of the Old Testament that kept on dying and dying and dying. But there's one priesthood, priest that lives forever. Verse 25, wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ not only died and was sufficient as a sacrifice, but he now lives and he is sufficient as a priest To make sure that the accomplishment of his death will be seen through eternity. He's our mediator standing between us and God. When we stand before God and the books condemn us. The Lord Jesus Christ will declare that he died for us. And it will make all the difference in the universe. This life of the Lord Jesus Christ after his death is very important. That's why there is so much emphasis in the word of God about a priest. Because we need a priest between God and us. And after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, this priest, this high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ had a sacrifice. His own blood. And so notice here, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. So come back to Romans chapter 5 and a verse that you read last evening and I hope you thought about that the Apostle Paul wants to point out that there is something very important that happens with the life of Christ after He died was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. Right, sister. Remember, there's three. Romans five ten. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Watch these words. Much more. Amen. How can you say that anything's much more than the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. You are never going to have to meet the judge without an attorney. And the attorney is the judge's son. And the attorney died in your place. You are saved. He is an all-sufficient Savior. I can meet that judge. I can meet that judge and have him thumb the pages of his books And I can be in dread. at what I'm hearing exposed to the universe about my life. But the Lord Jesus Christ is at His right hand. And He's the Son of the Judge. And He gave His own life for me. I've been judged absolutely righteous. And my name's in the book of life. And my mediator will not let me down. And my mediator doesn't die. And my mediator doesn't quit. And my mediator doesn't have a bad day. He is all sufficient. And I hope you love your mediator. We shall be saved by his life. You say, I've never heard that before, emphasized. Oh, yes, you have. Romans chapter 8, let's see it the third time. I showed it to you in Hebrews 7.25. I showed it to you in Romans 5.10. It's one more time in the Bible that I know of. And if you can find me a fourth, I won't complain. I'll love a fourth one. Look at this, Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather. Notice, this time, instead of saying much more after his death, it says, yea, rather. Something even better in addition to that. It's hard for me to even say it to you. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The sacrifice That time on the cross, the sacrifice was made. God accepted the sacrifice. But there is a mediator seated at God's right hand that will never fail us. We will never have to meet God without the Lord Jesus Christ there. He was tempted in all points like I've ever been tempted. He just didn't sin and I just did sin. He is able to succor them that are tempted because he was once tempted. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He will defend us to Almighty God. And it won't be that hard of a job because He finished it on the cross of Calvary. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing hanging in the balance. But when you get to God, especially writing to Jews, they need, they knew they needed a priest. And there is a priest. And the priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. When I encounter Catholics these days on the internet, one of the first things I want to ask them, and I did it in just the last couple of days, is to ask them, why in the world do you have priests? Because when I read the New Testament, there's, there's, there's pastors and there's deacons. Where do you get these priests? There's one priest. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, their whole religion is from the devil himself to take away glory from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how far the Church of Rome could fall in a few centuries, to fall into the Roman Catholic Church. It's a horrible thing. 1.1 billion of them, about 50 million Baptists in the world, they seriously outnumber us about 22 to 1, which is the truth. Ah, We rest on Holy Scripture instead of magisterium. Magisterium being the authority of the church to dictate and say whatever they please, regardless of what the Bible says. Oh, we have an all sufficient Savior. Can you believe if we had to have a mass today and offer Jesus Christ again? If I had to hold up a sun a sun shaped wafer to you and say, Behold, the Lamb of God, and you all say back to me, We are not worth Lord, we are not worthy to be under the same roof with you. And I'm holding a little cracker. And then you come up and stick out your tongue because you don't want to get Jesus dirty with your fingers. And I put him on your tongue and say, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And when we get done, we lock up the leftovers in a little house on the left side of the church where the leftovers of God are locked up and we get down on our knees and we worship. And they have to keep doing that. A Mass every week. A Mass every week. Because they don't have an all-sufficient Savior. And we have an all-sufficient Savior. And we have an all-sufficient High Priest. And we have an all-sufficient Apostle. And His name is Holy and Reverend. Not the most Holy and Reverend that sits in Rome. The one that sits in Heaven. There's so much more, oh Lord, that could be said and should be said. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 6, I will lose none of them. I will lose none. Is that a sufficient Savior? I will lose none. As thou, and then he said in John 17, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Jesus Christ will give eternal life to every single one without exception, not one being lost, to those that God gave to the Lord Jesus Christ to save. That's what Jesus Christ said in his high priestly prayer of John chapter 17 verses one through four before he went to the cross. All charges are dropped. Have we been to Romans 8.33 today? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And how does he justify? Through an all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that sufficient? No one can lay anything to your charge. The new covenant that the Lord Jesus Christ put into force says this, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. When we get to heaven, we're going to remember our sins and iniquities for a few moments to realize what we deserve. He doesn't remember them anymore in any legal, punitive way. They're over. They're paid for. They're simply a memory of us. But legally, he has none of them. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, He shall see of the travail of his soul. That is God shall see Jesus Christ travailing in pain on the cross of Calvary. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That is an all-sufficient Savior. That all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ was presented to us in Romans chapter 11 by the fact that the Deliverer came out of Zion for those that were even enemies of the gospel of His Son. If you have ever had a miscarriage or you have ever known about a baby that has died, that baby is as connected to Adam as you or anyone else sitting in this assembly. That baby needed the, the representation of the Lord Jesus Christ as much as any. The Lord Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient Savior for any. Every single one that God gave Him shall be saved. Some of them by God's providence for noble purposes and holy purposes known to Him may be enemies of the gospel. Some may be infants that never hear the gospel. But your hope can be in the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that all babies deserve to go to heaven. There is nothing in the Bible that teaches that. All babies deserve to go to hell because they're connected to Adam. Adam was far better than they would ever be if they were brought to the light of day and lived out a full life. Adam only had one commandment to keep in a perfect world without a sin nature. But he is an all-sufficient Savior. And you better put your hope in something that's found in the Word of God and not just in sentimental feelings. And so we put our hope in the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Is that a a sufficient Savior? Are you ready to go to the Father? Listen, death is chasing us down as fast as it can, and we are soon going to meet that black curtain of death. But listen, we should see right through it and see the light of glory shining on the other side, and we should leap into it by giving up the ghost and cheerfully looking forward to being in the presence of God. The Lord Jesus Christ has you in His hand, and He will not drop you. He will not forsake you. He will not lose a single one of you. Have you believed on him today? Are you making your calling and election sure? Otherwise, the Lord Jesus Christ will curse you out of his presence into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Two more. Will you allow me? Colossians chapter 2. This is speaking about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ died, and verse 14 tells us, He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. That's the Old Testament scriptures, about 718 commandments that you better keep if you're supposed to, if you're going to have any hope of eternal life. He blotted them all out, but it gets better. I like verse 15 and that's why we're here. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. There are spirit beings in this world, and they are put into ranks and hierarchies, and they maintain authority the authority structures that God gave them, and that is the devil and his angels, these principalities and powers. But the Lord Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers. How did he spoil them? They had something that they thought was theirs, and he went and got it and took it for himself. Do you know what it was? It was you, and it was me. The Lord Jesus Christ said during his ministry, If I cast out devils with the Spirit of God, then no doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you, and a stronger man has arrived to deliver you from the strong man. A strong man keeping his palace can keep his goods protected until a stronger one comes. And who is the stronger man? The Lord Jesus Christ that we're going to remember. He came and delivered us from the strong man. He took on himself the nature of the seed of Abraham that he could destroy the devil Who held the power of death over us, because God had said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the devil held that power over us from God's own justice, but the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied it all, spoiled principalities and powers. Can you imagine the devil thinking that he had the Lord Jesus Christ now hanging on the cross of Calvary, dying, and by that very deed saved us out of his kingdom? That is the wisdom of God. Do Do you love the wisdom of God and do you love the Lord Jesus Christ for willingly coming and doing that? Look at Revelation 5. Revelation 5. Oh, do you love Revelation chapter 5 and the choirs that are there? Where does Revelation 5 stand in the timeline of human history? It stands at the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles on earth stood looking up as Jesus Christ went up into a cloud and was received out of their sight and he disappeared from his earthly ministry. But you know, he had to go someplace because he has a body of flesh and blood glorified in the presence. He's the first fruits of them that slept. And do you know where he was on the other end of that trip? He came into the presence of God. And when he came into the presence of God, There was a book in the hand of Almighty God that no one in heaven or earth could open. And I want to talk about the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ for just one or two more minutes. The choirs in heaven were not singing about being redeemed because they hadn't been redeemed yet. They're about to start singing. This book had not been taken out of the hand of Him that sat on the throne. This book that had seven seals and it was written within and without is the covenant of the everlasting God, of His judgments upon the wicked and His blessings of salvation upon the righteous. Uh, what He's going to pour out upon the rest and what He's going to do for all the elect. It is the covenant of God. How do we know that? Because when the seals are ripped off it, they burst into singing about salvation. And that this lamb was worthy. But now John is watching. When you look at the first verse, you see in the right hand of him that sat in the throne, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And a strong angel was proclaiming with a loud voice who was worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. There wasn't a man in heaven or on earth. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't David. It wasn't Solomon. It wasn't Billy Graham, it wasn't Pope, it wasn't anyone that could open the book. There was no one in heaven or earth that could even look on the book. And I wept much. John's there by vision, seeing this. I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And without that book being opened, Without the seals being ripped off that book, that is the book of the everlasting covenant. Let me tell you something. If you make a last will and testament, there is a day where you sit with an attorney and they open up and open up a seal of a last will and testament of a father and they declare the benefits to the beneficiaries. And the benefits to the beneficiaries are about to be declared and are declared throughout the book of Revelation. And that is why the choirs burst into singing shortly. But no one can be found that can even look on it, let alone take it. And John's weeping. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, oh, hath prevailed to open the book. Hath prevailed to open the book. What did he have to do to prevail to open the book? He had to lay down his life for us and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. What color is a lamb as it had been slain? Red. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders, the twelve patriarchs of the Old Testament and the twelve apostles of the New, fell down before the Lamb because they were all waiting upon the redemption provided by the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song. This song had never been sung in heaven before because the Lamb had not been there before thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of the Piedmont of the Carolinas, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen and amen. He is an all-sufficient Savior. What a scene. Until he comes for us, this he delights in. It is called the Lord's Supper. It is called the Lord's Table. We are the Lord's people, and he is our Savior. I hope that you know he's all-sufficient. I want you to delight in him as we go to that table for communion.